hearts, save man's soul. Then here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, hug your neighbor. Would you give them a big old Christmas hug over there? All right. Make sure they feel loved and warm. All right, all right. Brother Sko up here on the front getting some love from Austin. Nobody hug Mark back there. He's by himself. Jimmy, anybody give you a hug? Come on, we got to get some hugs back here. Somebody get up and go hug these guys. Scott, you're okay up here? Red's going to come over. He's ready. Red's ready to give you a hug. Okay. All right, good. Well, I'm glad Lindsay's doing all right. Lindsay, hug Mark too while you're up. All right. Thank you, Jesus. All right. John, hug yourself, okay? <laughs> Let John go, okay? <laughs> the verse that I had earlier, we finally got up here. John, I mean, Mark 7, 36. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. That's in context where Jesus healed somebody, and he told them, don't go tell anybody. It's like when you receive that great gift and you're not supposed to tell anybody. And that's what we've done. See, we Christians have done that. We've received the greatest gift of all, which is Jesus Christ as our Savior. And what have we done with that gift? Kept quiet about it. We took him at his word. He said, don't tell anybody. Okay. See, you've got the greatest gift of all. You ought to tell somebody. Amen. All right. Back in 2005, there arose an absurd-looking holiday trend. It was literally turning a traditional Christmas celebration upside down. One company based in New York offered a... And why are they always out of New York? Based in New York, offered a seven-foot pre-lit Christmas tree that stands out because it stands on its top. And it sold for $599.95. And evidently it was very, uh, it, it, it was just a bargain deal to buy because they sold out of them, the company reports. The point of this and the advantage of this is that it's easier to see the ornaments and it allows more room underneath for decorations and presents. So hang it upside down as we look at this beautiful tree. Well, next year we're going to hang it upside down. Nah. And Target figured out how to catch on. They found a company that made crystal trees all in white, and they stood it on end, on the point. And Target began to sell them and sell them like wild cakes. Now, Patricia Dalton is a psychologist, and she doesn't really need a tree turned upside down for a Christmas, and she says most folks don't. In fact, the rampant consumerism, once confined to just holidays, has permeated our culture year-round. And uh, she talks about how unhappy people keep trying to fill the emptiness in their lives by irresponsible spending, and then they go to people like her, a psychologist, to try to help them straighten it out. And what's gone wrong with them? And she says this, Those of us who lived through the 60s seem to have forgotten the warning that everything you buy owns you. When you buy it, it owns you. And if you buy it on time, somebody else owns you. So there's layers of ownership. But you don't have it. 
people say, are you buying your house? Do you own your own home? When you fill out a, a, an application, they'll say, do you own your own home? And what's the answer? Yes. The real answer is no. <laughs> you don't own it. Not till you've paid it off. Right? There you go. Somebody owns that. And it's no wonder that people, uh, uh, their, their marriages are being ruined, their families are being ruined, their health is being ruined because they're so deep in debt, it's no wonder that they feel spiritually empty at this time of year. Americans spend more than $23 billion every Christmas on toys alone. And that is more than the next 10 industrialized countries spend on toys combined. Isn't that an amazing statistic? I think most of those were at my house for my little granddaughter. But the irony of an upside-down Christmas can be seen and in plain view when you invite all who would pause and take a chance to see the beauty of God's incredible gift because it gets upside down. We forget why we're here and why we have this season. You take that upside-down Christmas tree. But as it turns out, in the 12th century, Christians hung fir trees upside down in their homes at Christmas to remind them of the Trinity. It was called the Trinity tree. The triangular shape represented the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And it reminded Christians of what it was all about. The thing is that was different is that they never really, 900 years ago or so or more, never thought about putting presents and expensive gifts under there. But I'd like for this morning to focus on Nazareth. The story starts there. Mary uh, got the word that she would carry the long-awaited Christ child. And we pick that up in Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you might turn there. And uh, I think the verses are up. John, are the verses up there? By chance, do we have the verses in there? They're in there? Hey, there they are. All right. In the sixth month, I mean, verse 26 of Luke 1. In the sixth month, God sent the, Abra- the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And if you're reading that in your Bible, underline that or highlight that. And then highlight this phrase, Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Needless to say, Mary found Christmas. It's not just that the angel of the Lord found her, for that's really an important factor in this story and in Mary's life, but it's the fact that she said, I am the Lord's servant. Mary and the rest said with the rest of her life, 
that she was going to live for the Lord and let the Lord fill in the gaps. She was his servant. She was ready to go. But in Nazareth, for a season, Mary was the only person to believe God was at work in this miraculous way. And it took a miraculous dream for Joseph to get on board. Mary had to spend most of her pregnancy and her time of giving birth away from her village, her friends, and even her family. And for them, the lesson for us today is that more, is, it's more important than you might think. We'd like to reclaim the rest of the holiday. We would like to remember the real reason for the celebration. We'd like to spend less money on gifts, but we forget to realize the incredible gift that we've been given. And we can miss the meaning of the season, and it can affect our faith. And we also miss the opportunity for experiencing life-changing faith down the road when we miss Jesus at Christmas. Nazareth refused to believe. Let's pick it up in Mark 6, verses 4 through 6. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. If that's not a powerful statement when Jesus says he was amazed at their lack of faith. I wonder in our walk with God today at River Oaks Church, would Jesus say, wow, that's a faith-driven church? Or would he recognize us as being a church of little faith that lacks faith. Nazareth had heard not from one but from two of its upstanding young adults about this miraculous birth that was to come, but the village people refused to believe it. They were far too familiar with Mary and Joseph to believe that God might use them. How could God use them? Ever felt that way? How could God use me? After all, who am I? What do I have to offer? And they were simply too familiar with Jesus. He had grown up among them. He had lived among them every day for decades. For 30 years he had lived among them. But most of us are as familiar with Jesus as the folks in Nazareth. And that's really the impact of the story. And if you've been in church very long, you know the stories. You've sung the songs. You've even memorized Scripture. But there's still a huge gulf of faith and trust that needs a bridge, and only you can build that bridge. Only you can create the faith you need in your life and in your heart for God. Christmas is the time when Jesus should be amazed at our faith, but oftentimes He sees the lack of it. Would it be yet another Christmas? Would we have experienced yet another Christmas filled with too much to do, too much food, and too many expenses? Or have you experienced this Christmas faith finally taking hold and like Mary, you're saying, I'm the Lord's servant. I want to give you three quick reasons why Christmas is the best time of year. Number one, it's the right time for the right message. What's the right message? Most of our culture seems to miss it during this season of frantic giving and going and the, you know, the, what is the reason for the season? And if you spend any time in Walmart, you'll understand what I'm saying. 
I'm telling you, we need to sue Walmart for false advertising when they put that out at Christmas where they're playing the lights at every register and every register is full and every light's blinking. It'll never happen. Never happen, not in Tulsa or anywhere else. They're lying, so we ought to sue them and get some money from them. Nah, we shouldn't do that. But Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. I'm the Lord's servant. And because most of our culture misses it, the reason for the season is the name of the man named Jesus called Emmanuel. The very words mean the Lord saves us. God is with us. A woman doing her last minute Christmas shopping at a crowded mall, fighting the crowds, tired and weary and tired of the lines, standing in lines, fighting her way down long aisles, looking for that gift that was sold out days before, arms full of bulky packages, gets to the elevator door, it opens, it's full. The occupants squeeze back a little tighter so she can get in with her gifts. And when the door closes, she blurts out, whoever's responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. People nodded and grunted in agreement, and then somebody far back in the elevator came this single voice, don't worry, they already crucified him. <laughs> a lot of this Christmas series that we've talked about the last four weeks has been about simplifying Christmas, spending less, doing less, and as a result, enjoying Christmas more. But our tendency is to be so hurried, so quick, so, wow. Men don't fare good at Christmas. You women already know that. Going Christmas shopping, I should say, instead of going Christmas shopping, 89% of men in a, in a survey would choose to watch their favorite sports team lose. <laughs> as an alternative to, oh, you'll love this, as an alternative to venturing into crowded stores and shopping for gifts, 37% of men would rather bake cookies. <laughs> right. How can we share the right message right now? Part of it is in how we respond. How does our family see us respond at Christmas? One of the most telling things you could do is not do what you normally do. Maybe you want to take a precious gift and combine it because we usually spend a lot of money, don't we, at Christmas? Wouldn't it be great if everybody in the family contributed and we made, we made a big contribution to a, a mission project somewhere? Wouldn't that be awesome? That would just have, flat be awesome to do that. We might think about that. You might think about that. It's the right time for the message. Secondly, it's the right place for the right message. Nazareth didn't see itself as the right place for the home of the Messiah. I mean, part of the meaning of the phrase Nazarene is despised one. This village didn't have the best reputation in fact, in John 146, uh, Nathaniel, the disciple, uh, put his foot in his mouth when he met Jesus. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? <laughs> Nazareth didn't have a good reputation. And yet Isaiah had promised that the Messiah would be despised, even rejected and despicable. Psalm 22 drives home that point as well. Few young people grow up thinking their hometown has the chance to produce greatness. How many of you know where Knob Creek, Kentucky is? That's good because it's no longer on the map. <laughs> Knob Creek, Kentucky produced one person of, of prominence, and that was Abraham Lincoln. 611 people lived in Plains, Georgia, 
that produced Jimmy Carter. John Wayne, born in Winterset, Iowa, population of 4,805. Salute, Grandpa Jones says. Tiger Woods, boy, he's in the headlines. <laughs> born in Cypress, California, population of 49,000. President George W. Bush, born in New Haven, Connecticut, population 124,000. Michael Jordan was born in Brooklyn, one skinny kid trying to find his way among the 2.4 million people living around him. Any place at any time can produce a great leader or an unforgettable entertainer. And at this place, our place, happens to be the right place for the right message of Christmas. You have a chance in your home between Christmas and New Year's to make an impact with a message. You do. Because now we've moved from gift-giving into resolutions, haven't we? Now would be the time to resolve to make 2010 that year for you in Christ. That He becomes preeminent. That He becomes the number one issue in your life. The time is right for the right message. The right place for the right message. And then thirdly, you are the right person for the right message. And you might have doubts about your ability to deliver that message. Some people are, are gifted to be able to just to meet anybody and act like the prophet Elijah and just let her rip tater chip, you know. A lot of people have that. A lot of people don't have that. Most people don't have that. Most people are scared to even look in the mirror and talk to themselves, much less talk to anybody else. And then to talk to them about Jesus Christ. Oh, my goodness. Because, you see, if you're going to talk about the Lord, that means you've got to have your life a little bit in line, don't you? Yeah, how can I preach something and share something with you that I don't have going on in my own life? So we need to make sure that we're walking the walk too. Mary and Joseph accepted that challenge, trusted God, found the miracle, paid a tremendous price for accepting the task that God had given them. They endured shame and scorn and hundreds of miles of difficulty and dangerous journeys. The rest of Nazareth endured none of the discomfort, for they did not accept that challenge of faith. They missed a lot more than simply the birth of the Christ child. They missed it all. And there will be people who will go through life and miss it all. I'm just so grateful that my oldest brother found Jesus. Because I remember talking to him one time about, where do you go when you die? He said, well, you, you live, you die, you're buried, that's it. I said, really? He said, oh, you think there's more, don't you? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, one of these days we'll talk about that. We never talked specifically about it, but we talked all around it. And I kept sending him little things. And we have a, a, a nephew, or I should say a cousin, that on my father's side that started sending him emails. And I think it was through those emails because he kept forwarding them to me. I, I thought he had a come to Jesus meeting because I called him and asked him because of what, what he was sending to me. He says, I'll tell you what, those are really interesting and I'm really enjoying reading them. I thought, there you go, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for email. Because <laughs> I believe it's email that got him to find the Lord and make a profession of faith in Christ. And that's what it's all about, folks, is that we have that chance to make a life-changing faith happen in somebody's life. Christmas. Letting Christmas live on beyond December 25th. Letting Christmas be why we do what we do. 
the reason for the season and the reason for why I live, breathe, eat, and sleep is Jesus Christ. And we need to share that message. And that decision to do that belongs to us. Take that journey of faith that Mary and Joseph took. Find that miracle. Can't believe, you can't trust. You'll suffer the same fate as the people of Nazareth who simply never overcame their lack of trust. But if you can trust, if you can come to faith in Christ, you'll find the same truth that Mary found. Because you see, the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. The worship team comes to help me close. The right place, the right time, the right person, and most importantly, the right message. Christ started in Nazareth and came to Bethlehem. Both villages were filled with people who missed what God was doing in their midst, the same way people in our day and age literally celebrate a huge holiday without ever comprehending why we celebrate it. Pete Wynn was in his local post office just a few days before Christmas, and at the end of the transaction, a very helpful postal worker managed to smile, and the standard line, is there anything else I can do for you? Pete shot back, can you help me pay my Christmas? Pay for Christmas? Without missing a beat, this uh, postal worker said he already paid it. Pete then, uh, shocked by that response, got his bearings and he said, you know, he certainly did. So this morning, two days after Christmas Day, where are you? Are you in faith? Are you in trust? Are you still waiting for something that hadn't come yet? I don't know where you are, but God does. Today would be a great day to draw a line in the sand and to say, I'm not going back that way, I'm going this way. And God, I'm going to make you number one in my life. I'm going to combine the reason for the season with the new year upon me, and my resolution will be, and that you'll stick to that resolution throughout 2010. If you have a decision to make, we want to give you a chance to do that this morning.